Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all, and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hi, everyone. I'm Denise Hanitka, and you are listening to a brand new episode of On a Mother Level, the podcast for moms who can relate. This is episode 117, and this is an update episode because episode 116 ended on a really hopeful note. I had talked to a mom named Ebony Ford, and Ebony had experienced loss and a traumatic birth with her daughter who was born at 26 weeks. And she told that story, and she ended the conversation by sharing that she had just found out, it was a huge surprise to her and her husband, that she was pregnant. And it was very early on, and when we talked... I knew the episode wasn't going to come out for several weeks, so I just made a deal with her that once she announced publicly, then I would be able to share the episode and it would all line out just perfectly. Well, a couple weeks went by and I noticed that she didn't make an announcement when she said that she was going to make an announcement, and I found out that it was because she lost her baby, and yet... She remembered the promise that she made during our conversation that no matter what happened, she wanted to be transparent about it. And so we decided to have this follow-up conversation. It was a rare opportunity to talk about miscarriage in real time. This episode is called One in Eight because this is National Infertility Awareness Month. And one in eight couples in this country are unable to get pregnant, have trouble getting pregnant, or have trouble sustaining a pregnancy. And it made me think back to all the different guests that I've had over 117 episodes and how many have shared that they are one in eight, even if they don't know the stat, they are one in eight. And just looking back through, we have had at least 20 episodes that directly deal with the one in eight. Not being able to get pregnant, having trouble getting pregnant, having trouble keeping a pregnancy. And in a way, based on my own little world and my own little bubble, it feels like one in eight vastly underestimates the problem. And so I took this opportunity, after much thought, to face miscarriage in real time. We could actually talk about it as it was happening, because I know that there is someone who is listening to this podcast right now who's also dealing with this in real time, who also is experiencing loss in real time. And sometimes it just helps to have someone be with you right there in real time without the broad strokes perspectives and to just say, 
this is what it is. This is how I feel today. It might change tomorrow, but right here, as I am dealing with the loss of this pregnancy and the loss of all the hope and all the dreams surrounding the idea of this baby that I couldn't wait to meet, here we are in real time and we're going to share it together. And so I thank Ebony for offering herself and her story as a way to be there for someone else. And if that someone is you, Mama, this is a big hug to you. My heart is with you today. And so if you haven't listened to Ebony's story, go back to episode 116. Start there. Hear about her daughter, Rain, who just turned four. And she's going to tell you in this episode today, in this update, what she was doing on her daughter's fourth birthday. And so here we go. This is raw. This is as real as it gets. This is on a mother level. Thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing in these stories with me. It is something that I don't think we talk about enough. I think a lot of times there's this stigma that you is odd because I defied this, um, that you need to wait till you're out of the first trimester to share Um, You know, you don't want to burden anyone, but by doing that, you isolate yourself um, in the trauma. And this was actually the first time um, of any of the the pregnancies we've had, losses, and even my daughter, where we shared the day we found out with, you know, close family and friends. We didn't go public. Um, This Sunday was actually the day we were supposed to go public. And um, yeah, that cut like a knife. But Um, I'm also grateful that we did not because I have experienced more times than I would have liked having to come behind that celebration to update. And that's painful. So I do understand where people are coming from, but I I do not regret um, sharing with family and friends because they've been amazingly supportive um, through this. And I could not imagine going through this alone, you know, my husband and I. So I'm really grateful that we told who we told. Our village has been amazing. And um, it's helped me to heal and be ready to have the conversation like we're having today. Yeah. So what, from what I'm reading on your Instagram posts, you are getting some of the healing that you actually missed out on after, you know, dealing with the traumatic delivery of rain. And yes. so can you, can you elaborate a little bit on what you mean by that? Because, you know, you're, you're so very much in the thick of it and yet you're finding healing. Yeah. Like this. Um, so it was a gamble per family, friends, and even um, legal advice to go back to the same institution where I have my daughter. Okay. But in my opinion, Um, My experience throughout my pregnancy was great until that last appointment with my daughter, which again was not with my normal provider. So I didn't have any gripes with the institution itself. In fact, it saved, you know, my daughter and I's life, but they just felt like, you know, this is the place where the trauma happened. Maybe you don't need to go there. But given my history, I felt like they're one, they're the best in this area. And two, I don't want to start over. I don't want to have to explain this, you know, whole obstetric history all over again. They know, they understand, they've watched the journey. And going back there initially was like a redeeming um, process, stepping back on. And I've been back in that 
positions building for other things. But stepping on that floor was like a, ooh, okay, let's do this again. And um, it was a very, um, I think from the beginning, kind of healing, learning to trust again, um, you know, having faith that the outcome we had before wouldn't be the same outcome that they would catch it. And um, I think from the beginning, even before the loss, I think the birth trauma was being healed from the very beginning. And even for my first appointment, I felt, you know, I felt heard. I felt, you know, like my, all of my concerns were addressed. They were ready to be super proactive. And um, they did just that, honestly, through, you know, throughout. I mean, granted, we only made it to 10 weeks, but they were, they were very, open. I had multiple, you know, ultrasounds and blood draws and a lot of stuff during that time because there were certain irregularities with my HCG at one point. It wasn't rising. It had actually fallen, but then it doubled. So we had to keep a close eye on that. And um, they were, they were great. So the birth trauma I felt was being healed throughout it all. And um, even on the day that we went in and I had some concerns, I was experiencing some symptoms that I just felt weren't quite right. And even then um, they told me to go to the emergency room because they were booked, went to the emergency room and they were like seven hour wait. And I was like, no, that's never going to do. But I was going to be home from school in a few hours. So I was ready to go home. And on my way home, um, a nurse called me and said, hey, we're going to squeeze you in for an ultrasound. And thank God that happened because had I not had that ultrasound that day, I would have come home and only hours later began to miscarry. And I would have never even known anything was wrong. So again, you know, just them being so proactive and listening to me and hearing me was all I ever wanted. And having, you know, been heard the first time around, I think my story would have ended very differently. I may not have a medically fragile 26 weeker, you know, I may not have been left with the kidney and the liver issues and all of that. So I really feel that they heard me, they saw me and that was healing for me. Even in the way that everything played out, they were so compassionate and they really followed up. And it, it's almost like the advice that I give to other, you know, providers about how they can be compassionate. It's almost like my hospital was eavesdropping because they checked all the boxes. So that was very healing for me in the midst of a terrible situation. Do you want to elaborate on, on what, uh, what exactly happened and what led you to find out the bad news? Sure. So, um, I would say about, it was the first week of February Um, My husband and I, we have been joking about wanting another baby this year. And, you know, we were just kind of whatever happens, happens. I've kind of been going, you know, hard on my weight loss. And I was just like, you know, focusing on that. When and if it happens, it happens. And the next, no, actually that night we came home and my husband heated up two odd foods. It was like leftovers. He heated them up and the smell made me so sick. And I was like, feels familiar the next morning I just I don't know something just told me to test boom test found I was pregnant so um I didn't know how far I could be because um I had super irregular cycles especially since I started losing weight so um I wanted to make sure I wasn't like super far so I called got in 
And that's how we were able to get ultrasounds and blood work and, you know, everything seemed to be going fine. Three weeks later, um, I had a little bit of spotting and they wanted me to um, come in and get seen. I got seen and we got one blood number. They wanted me to just follow up two days later and make sure that my numbers were rising. That's how we found that my number had not risen. In fact, it slightly dropped. So they were preparing me at that point saying, you know, typically this is not a good sign. It means, you know, you're going to miscarry. Do you want to just go ahead and schedule a DMC or take this medicine to kind of induce things? And I didn't, something just didn't feel right. Um, I knew what the facts were, but I just said, no, no, I don't know if I want to do that. Can we watch and see? So they said, okay. And this was on a, a Tuesday. So we'll bring you in Friday. We'll do an ultrasound and we'll see what's going on there. Got to the ultrasound Friday and there was my baby. Heartbeat, everything was perfect. I got blood work after the appointment, found out the next day that my numbers had finally doubled. It took a whole week, but they did finally double. And the doctors were saying that's something they've never seen. Typically, if it drops, it's going to continue to drop. Um, and even with them rising as slowly as they did, they weren't expecting to see a heartbeat at all, but baby had a perfect heartbeat. Everything was great. So we left feeling good, feeling like everything was back on track. It was about two weeks later, I began to experience um, some slight cramping, nothing too crazy. I had experienced that with my daughter. They were saying that it was, um, they call it round ligament pain. And I, I kind of expected that to be it. I also had a classical C-section with my daughter. So I was expecting to have some pain as the pregnancy progressed. I was expecting that, but um, I began to spot and it was not um, typical spotting. It was just very odd in color. It was not a regular thing. It was kind of on off, heavy than light. It was just odd and I felt like something was off. Um, I reached out to them and explained what was going on. Um, my, um, the nurses there are so great. Um, the helpline, they're like, take pictures. We want to see, you know, if we can't see you, we'll see, you know, whatever. So it's sending all of that and giving them all of this data. They were like, well, this seems like normal, you know, early pregnancy. If you start feeling, you know, strong pains or you experience this or that, come in. Well, I didn't experience that. So this went on for about a week. Um, I woke up on a Wednesday morning and I had severe cramping. Um, this was worse than anything I experienced while pregnant. And I would honestly say it may have been worse than like a normal period cramping. And um, despite taking Tylenol and, you know, hot bath, whatever, like nothing was soothing it. And right before um, they told me to go to the emergency room, like full on bleeding started. And I was like, okay, this is not good. Um, again, you know, they told me to go to the emergency room. Emergency room was, was packed. My husband and I were on our way home, back home. And the hospital was about 25 minutes away. We were about five minutes from home and I got a call from the hospital saying, hey, you know, uh, we're going to squeeze you in. The doctor wants to squeeze you in for ultrasound. We heard that you stopped by the emergency room. And I don't know how they heard that still to this day, but they said, you know, come on in and um, we'll get you an ultrasound. And it was in like 30 minutes. So we jetted back. My daughter was due to come home from school. So my husband was like, okay, I'll drop you off. I'll go get her off the bus. You go to the appointment. And um, we started the ultrasound and it was almost within, I say the first minute, I realized something was very wrong. My last ultrasound, I could see baby wiggling and doing all the things. 
and the baby was incredibly still. And they say, you know, they kind of zoom in and I saw right away the baby didn't have a heartbeat and I wanted to be so wrong. They switched from external to internal. I mean, the, the, the tech was so sweet. She was trying to talk to me and, you know, kind of distract me, but it wasn't working. My eyes were on that screen and I was waiting to hear heartbeat. And there's this like Doppler thing that they put over. You can see them like moving this line. They click it and the sound turns on and there was no sound and I lost it, completely lost it. And she was just like, you know, don't worry. I'm going to go get the doctor. The doctor may want to do another ultrasound, but I, I knew. And um, about two minutes later, they came back in with the doctor. The doctor started moving around again. She asked them to put like, there's like a blood flow screening that you can put over to see if, you know, if there's like any blood flowing, there was nothing. And they turned on the lights and I knew, I just knew. Um, I picked up my phone while she was talking and FaceTimed my husband so that he could hear the conversation. And she basically told us um, through the, the growth markers that they took, it looked like our baby had stopped growing at about eight weeks and two days. So that was about two weeks prior. And it had to be very shortly after we had just saw the baby's heartbeat that that began to happen. And um, I left that day. Well, they left the room. And after they left the room, I sat on the phone with my husband for a second. And he's like, she's not off the bus yet. I, I, you know, do you want to just stay so I can come get you? I'm like, no, it's rush hour. It's okay. I'll just take an Uber home. Poor Uber driver. Um, <clears throat> he didn't know what to do. Cause I was in the back seat, losing it. I can laugh now because I'm sure he's like, "What in the world is going on?" I cried a river. I was so hurt, not just because we had lost that baby, but because just two weeks prior, it seemed like we had experienced this um, miracle of sorts. You know, where we were expecting the baby not to survive, and then the baby was fine. And then now this, um, it was such a roller coaster of emotion and we were reorganizing our entire lives around this baby and we weren't going to move. Then we decided we needed to move. Uh, we were making plans for our daughter revolving around this, making sure that, you know, she would have coverage. So like we went from our old norm to a new norm. And now it was like, now what are we supposed to do? How do you go back to life? I don't know what life was before this. And granted, I've only, I only knew I was pregnant for about six weeks, but I don't know what life is before this. Um, so we came, I came home and my husband greeted me and, um, you know, just a ton of tears. We were both just so just out of it. And uh, my husband made the decision to send my daughter uh, to my mother-in-law's so that we could just kind of have a night to process because we didn't have the patience or the energy to deal with a soon to be hyper four-year-old. So she went there and just that evening we were able to just cry and talk. But in the midst of that, the bleeding kicked up, the pain kicked up and the miscarriage started. Um, of all the losses I've had, this is the earliest and this is the first that I've experienced at home. All of my other losses have been like full on birth. This was different. I had never experienced this. And um, 
I missed one detail. So in the office, after they told me, they asked me, did I want to take medicine, do DNC, or let it happen at home? And I felt like it happening at home would have been too traumatic. So I opted for DNC. They told me they would call me. Um, they would schedule it. They would call me the next day. Um, but that evening, everything started to happen. And um, I was able to visibly see my baby when it passed through my body and they, they they told me to you know try to collect things and bring it in for genetic testing and anyone who, who has experienced this can imagine having to um and I don't want to get too graphic but I want to do this justice as I explain it having to extract I'll say the products of conception from a very um unsanitary place is not the funnest thing to do. Um, and it is also very re-traumatizing. Having to um, get all of these things, try to figure out what's what, what is this? You know, is this just a blood clot or is this something that I need to collect? Like literally we were having to like put on gloves and see what was what. Mind you, I'm still bleeding. I'm still doubled over in pain. Um, by this point, I had become nauseous. I think just from all of the, all of what was happening, I was just stressed is an understatement. And I was in so much pain. I mean, it started as like cramping, but it went into like full on contraction pain. Like I could tell when it was coming. And when it started, I knew something was getting ready to pass through my body. It happened like on a very regular cadence that first night. Um, and I, I didn't sleep. We literally had a, a station set up in the bathroom with Ziploc bags and gloves and all of that stuff because literally all night we had to kind of fish through and see what was what. I don't wish that on anybody. Um, it was horrible. I think the most horrible part of this experience, to be honest, and that went on for two more days. Um, on a pretty regular regular cadence. I think God just had mercy on me because that third day also happened to be my daughter's fourth birthday. So we had to show up for her. She had a school party. We had to go get, and I couldn't leave the house because I was just bleeding way too much. I was in too much pain. My husband went and picked up her cupcakes and all of the stuff for the party for the kids to get to her school and you know, we were able to kind of watch on Zoom as they partied. Meanwhile, at home, just going through it, waiting for a call for a DNC. And they kept saying, we don't have OR space. The outpatient side doesn't have any space. And I'm just waiting and waiting. And meanwhile, it's happening. What I tried to avoid was happening. Finally, I got a call um, on that Monday telling me that um, I could come in on Wednesday for my DNC. Um, but by Monday, the bleeding, it kind of slowed up. I wasn't passing as much. Um, it was a much, you know, it was a bit easier to deal with, but we went in on Wednesday and, um, I had to do a bunch of blood work and things before, um, it turned out that my blood levels were dangerously low on the low end for a woman. I think the number should be 11 and mine was 4.8. So I ended up having to get two units of blood while I was waiting for the DNC to happen. If, and if anyone doesn't know what a DNC is, um, it's dilation and cuterage. Basically they dilate your cervix um, and they use suction to basically make sure that all of the products of conception are out so that you don't get infection and there's nothing left behind. 
And um, we went through that. That was actually um, very painless. The staff was amazing. They did knock me out for it, thank goodness. Um, but they just treated me with such love and care and compassion um, during that procedure. And I woke up, I was able to come home and um, we went and got my daughter from my mother-in-law's house and she came home and we all just kind of cuddled up that night. And then we decided uh, we need to get out of here. So we booked an impromptu birthday trip for my daughter to a resort up in the Poconos. The next day we got on the road. I felt good. I had less pain. I had less cramping. I felt up to it. So we got out that weekend and we just kind of used that as an opportunity to heal and have some fun as a family. And we came home and we've just kind of been processing ever since, finding the new normal navigating you know that the, this season is kind of like a heavy baby season for our family my sister-in-law is due any day uh, he has a cousin who just had a baby he has another cousin who's due with twins and you know we have been celebrating this big baby boom in the family and now here I was the one who was empty-handed but still having to show up and still celebrate and um, that's been difficult coming home to the baby clothes that I brought, um, I felt in my gut that I was having a boy. And the Friday before the loss, um, which was what, four days before, I had taken um, the early gender test. And the day after the loss began, the day as we found out that baby didn't have a heartbeat, it came back that we were having a boy. So my gut was right. And um, after the DNC, they um, took all of the products of conception and uh, we opted to do genetic testing just to see if it was, you know, chromosomal or if there's something we need to worry about in the future. And it came back that our son um, had a very rare condition called Angelman syndrome, uh, which I had never heard of and had to look up. But it's a neurological condition that basically would have left him um, having a lot of seizures, low muscle tone. Many babies with Angelman syndrome go on to have traits and G-tubes, um, living just not the life we would have wanted for our son. Um, a very painful and just not, just not what we would have wanted. So although we didn't take any um, peace in knowing that he wasn't going to live that life, I also had to come to grips with the fact that obviously it wasn't meant to be. Perhaps we wouldn't have been able to handle that already having a medically fragile child. But I also prepared myself that there's there's no telling if our next child could have it. So I wanted to educate myself and um, just come to terms with all that it happened. And I still don't know why. I still don't have any more answers than I had that day. But I'm on a journey to find healing and peace with just accepting what's allowed. So one, what you wrote today is that you have hope. You still have hope through it. Yeah. I believe that, um, in and all what is meant to be will absolutely be. And I believe that there's only one giver and there's only one taker of life. And that life was meant to be if for no other reason, to educate others about Angelman syndrome or to help others through pregnancy loss, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I feel like the reason is still unfolding, but I have hope that um, there is purpose in it all. I have hope that when it's time, we will add to our family again. I have hope that um, this 
will not break me. It will not change me. It will not change me to my core. Although, um, you know, I took some weeks to be silent and not really post and just kind of process it. I have hope that it's all going to work together for a greater good. Well, and the difference, you know, this time with the loss that you faced is that you do have rain and you want her to have a wonderful birthday, no matter what you're feeling and the pain that you feel physical and mental. And there is, it sounds like a lot to celebrate with rain, some great news, some great progress she's making at school, because as you pointed out in our last conversation, prematurity does not end when you leave the NICU. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm so glad to be trusted our gut and sent her despite her doctor's objections for her health. Her development needed that social language. It needed it. And um, to have found out that she's made 18 months worth of progress in just, gosh, what is this? Eight months is incredible. Um, Just to see how far she's come every week. She amazes us with the things that she says and does and her birthday really, it was, I hated that it had to happen that week, but I'm grateful it happened because she gave us a reason to wake up and keep going and keep pushing and show up for her. So I'm, it hurts, but I'm glad that it happened the way it happened because she was our saving grace. She still is, to be honest. Some days are more difficult than others, but she's definitely, definitely been our saving grace. One of my favorite things that you talked about in our last conversation was you said that miracles require no micromanagement. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really liked that. And so I wonder um, for you sitting here today, what, what is the miracle that you're waiting for? What is the miracle in the face of loss? Is there a miracle? Are you waiting for something still? I am waiting for the rainbow baby that I did not know I wanted but need rain was a rainbow baby for us after much loss and I never thought I would have another but I think the miracle in this is that we've not lost our hope um, that we are still able to share and be open and be transparent despite it all the miracle is that every day I have a formerly one pound, 15 ounce baby who comes and wakes me up. He says, mama, I love you. Uh, That's a miracle in and of itself. Um, I just feel like there is so much to be hopeful for. And um, miracles do not need micromanaging. I live by that. And so we're not going to try to conceive. We're not going to um, put forth our best efforts to make anything happen. I believe that just as it did this time when we were least expecting it, just as it did with rain when we were least expecting it, I believe that when and if, and I do believe we are meant to have at least one more child, but when it is time, it will happen and it will be an absolute miracle that we'll embrace. And so if there is a mom who is listening right now who wants to connect with you, and maybe can relate and wants to share in some of your resources at Miracle Mamas, how can they find you? So you can connect with me on a more personal level on Instagram at and she shall rain. You can also find me on my website, miraclemamas.org. There's a resource hub there that I'm actually updating today. And I'm going to be releasing a blog today um, entitled The Loss That Healed Me. 
and I'm going to detail this whole experience about how you can find beauty and loss, how you can find hope and loss. And um, I would love to connect with you. You can find me on Clubhouse. My um, handle there is She Shall Rain. If you look up Ebony Fort, you'll find me. If you look up Miracle Mamas Club, you will find me. And you'll also find a community of other amazing moms um, who have preemies, medically fragile babies, disabled babies, and so many of them have experienced loss and pregnancy after loss. Uh, so there's an amazing and um, so loving community there of over 200 moms who would love to embrace you as well. Thank you so much for your transparency about this. Thank you so much for facing it in real time here with me and um, for opening your heart, because I just don't think that there's any substitute for women connecting with other women and relating to them and just being there and seeing each other and meeting each other exactly where we're at. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me again and being open for the conversation and um, just to add, and I guess double down um, on the hope and um, the miracles that exist all around us. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to On a Mother Level, the podcast for moms who can relate. I'm your host, Denise Hanitka, and you can find me on Instagram at Denise WQAD and find the show page at On a Mother Level. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.